Welcome to Napa Valley College Now. I'm Jeff Sheckman. The Photo Eye Lecture Series, of which we've spoken about on this program numerous times before, is coming up once again at 6 p.m. on February the 18th. That'll be two weeks from Thursday in the Napa Valley College boardroom. The presenter this time will be photographer and multimedia artist Louis DeSoto. He's been exploring personal narrative through his work for over 20 years, using a wide range of media, including photography, but also including sculpture, installation, sound, light, video, and space. DeSoto's work has been in numerous public collections in the Des Moines Arts Center, the Los Angeles Museum of Contemporary Art, the Museum of Modern Art, and the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego. He's a professor of photography at San Francisco State, and it is my pleasure to welcome Louis DeSoto here. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. First of all, tell us a little bit about uh, about your background. You're uh, a native Californian born in, in San Bernardino. That's right. Uh, San Bernardino, California, the Inland Empire. And um, I went to college at UC Riverside and got my um, got a degree in painting there. And... Um, by the time I was finishing my degree in painting, I'd become completely entranced with photography. So um, I went on to graduate school and worked with um, photography at Claremont Graduate School in Claremont, California, which is the easternmost city in Los Angeles County. Uh, and um, while I was doing my photography, I met a couple of sculptors there, uh, Michael Brewster and Roland Reese. And uh, after I finished my degree, I started thinking more about sculpture and started incorporating that into my person and my photographs and then working purely in sculpture. Talk a little bit about that evolution from photography to sculpture to, to the multimedia stuff that, that you've worked in and, and really a wide range of things and the way they've all interacted with each other in your work. Um, that's a good question, and I'm 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 a little embarrassed to say that um, it's sort of hard for me to connect the dots. Uh, I seem to have a wandering um, sense of what interests me, so I move from one thing to the next, and then I return back to um, my original interests. So um, I began in painting, uh, and I started using photographs to. Uh, as models for paintings. And then I realized I like photography uh, as a way of getting out of the studio. So uh, I started uh, uh, taking photographs uh, uh, exclusively for a number of years. And then after my interest in sculpture, I started adding sculptural elements to the photographs. And uh, then I moved to Seattle. I got a job at Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle and had a real crisis about uh, about my artwork. Um, it seemed as though I was tired of a lot of the tropes and um, themes that I kept seeing in photography, and I wanted to branch out. And uh, about three years into this crisis, I got a job offer at uh, San Francisco State University, and I was lucky enough to get a residency at the the Headland Center for the Arts in Sausalito. And they gave me an empty room, and I just started making sounds in it and uh, changing the lighting and thinking about large space as a kind of 
external camera that the um, viewer would walk into. So I still had and held on to the photographic metaphor, um, but I was thinking about cameras as rooms and thought about it as a way to talk about things in a, a narrative and experiential form so that the viewer was having a kind of experience of an extraordinary place, and that place could be uh, a metaphor for uh, stories, uh, particularly native stories and um, uh, conditions about the landscape. Uh, so I, I tended to stay with the with the uh, subject of the landscape, but I kept changing the media. Mm-hmm. As as these different media evolved for you, what role, if any, did did the technological development, the technological evolution of these different medium, play in your work, if any? Um, when I got to San Francisco State, I uh, I applied for a grant. It was called uh, Pixels in the Pictures, and uh, they gave me. Um, a, a, uh, some funds to get a computer, and at that time, the most sophisticated visual arts computer was an Amiga computer, which is uh, made by Commodore. They don't make them anymore. And um, I started using the technology and teaching it to myself because there really wasn't anybody doing it at the time. This was in the late 80s. Uh, and I always tended to use... Uh, Technology not on the cutting edge, but kind of within the edge of how consumers use uh, equipment. So I would um, I would work with amplifiers and microphones and um, recording equipment that was readily available, and try to combine them in interesting ways. Uh, but I never became a programmer. I never wrote code. Um, I didn't use technology uh, in that same, in that manner in which uh, a lot of us tend to think about in terms of Silicon Valley and Bay Area technology and, and, and things like that. Right. I worked with a guy from, um, who lived in uh, Oakland for a while, uh, who built some um, little magic boxes for me that would combine two or three different kinds of elements like when a sound got loud, the light would go out or um, something like that. But they were always reactive and kind of random. Um, and those things, I, I just didn't have the skills to build myself. Mm-hmm. And how? what role has video played in your work? In, in the early days, in the early 90s, I, I really loved video. Um, I actually had introduction to a, a great video artist named uh, Gary Hill in Seattle. We started at Cornish about the same time, and um, the video fascinated me. Um, and but I always used it as a kind of uh, an ancillary idea, a, a, a something that was part of another group of objects or sounds um, or atmospheric effects. So video never became like a single channel. Uh, medium for me where I would make a piece of quote-unquote video art, but in fact I would combine it with, with other things that um, well, combine it with other things that orchestrated some feeling with it. Uh, I tended to like video that didn't have any kind of narrative beginning or end mm-hmm. so that you could walk in on it at any time 
and uh, it would give you the feeling that I wanted to portray uh, and uh, transmit. And then after um, a while, I became tired of uh, seeing video and actually <laughs> looking at video art. I thought it was... Um, it wasn't as good as watching TV, let's put it that way, um, in that it didn't hold your attention uh, as much as I would like it to. So I, I started uh, pulling back on using it. Um, I think I was becoming also conscious of how many hours a day uh, people were looking at screens, trying to give people a relief from uh, looking at yet another screen. Talk about that in terms of being aware with your work and, and move this, this move away from video and giving them an opportunity to look at other things. What you sense is, is the thing and the format and the work that you've done that is the most effective at, at sort of bringing people in and capturing their attention. That's a, that's a good question because I'm not sure I know. Maybe that's because my interests keep changing. And so I tend to, um, I tend to experiment and think uh, perhaps this will hold my attention for a while. I don't think I speculate too much on what the viewer might like or be interested in. Uh, if I were to try to anticipate that, then I think I would make a lot of really poor decisions. <laughs> And talk a little bit about some of your work in museums and some of the permanent <clears throat> installations that you've been involved in. Sure. Let's, um, let's talk about the last one that I did that was pretty large. Uh, it was at Culver Center at UC Riverside in Riverside, California. And it involved a Native story about a primordial being uh, called Takwish. Takwish is the name of a peak in uh, the San Jacinto Mountains. Uh, that's related to um, the Kauia Indians and uh, Kauia uh, mythology about the beginnings of the world. And what I built there was, it was a large space. It was actually an old department store, and it had a gigantic uh, a transparent a glass ceiling. And I, I made a, a digital map from, um, from the USGS service back when... Uh, maps used to be drawn by hand. I, I photographed um, a uh, map that was at the UC Riverside uh, 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 map library and um, created a, uh, a sort of upside down map where you could look up and in the center of that uh, giant glass ceiling you could see uh, Mount Takwish uh, illustrated. And then in the sort of upside-down world, there was a boulder. Uh, it was sort of a Hollywood boulder because it was made out of styrofoam, but it looked very convincing, and most people thought I hung a real boulder from the ceiling. Uh, the story about Takwish is that he was a, a immortal creature that lived inside of a, inside of a rock. And there's a couple of stories told to me and recorded uh, in the home of Albino Siva, uh, about how a maiden was um, kidnapped by Takwish and, and made to become his wife, and another story about a um, a hunter. Um, but I used the maiden story 
and worked with a um, opera singer here in San Francisco. Uh, she uh, is a person that can uh, listen, hear, and read, and speak languages within very short periods of time. She has a talent I don't have any talent for. And she was able to actually um, uh, listen to the, um, the recording in Korea and uh, studied the Korea language in the anthropological text and was able to speak it inside of three weeks. Um, and she sang um, the maiden song in, um, in Korea in a kind of operatic style. This song was transmitted via these kinds of special speakers. They're called holosonic speakers. And they only allow you to hear the sound in a particular part of the room. So the entire room can sound silent, but if you walk and step in a certain place, you can hear almost in your head this song. So uh, when viewers walked underneath this hanging boulder, they would hear her singing the song. If they stood outside of the boulder, they could hear uh, Alvino Siva speaking the story in English and speaking in English in Korea. If they walked a little further on, they would encounter an old Victrola, and they would hear um, songs that were recorded in 19, um, it was 1911, uh, on a wax cylinder uh, that's in the uh, library collection of the UC Berkeley Anthropology Museum. So as you walked, you could hear three distinct sounds, uh, and you could kind of, interpolate the story in this upside down world that you were in uh, because of the ceiling having the map on it, you kind of felt like you were actually hanging off the ceiling looking down at the world. Um, and then later, uh, Aaron Neff did a uh, live performance with um, Kuya bird singers in the space. It was quite beautiful in the, the, uh, the videos are on um, my website. You you talked a little while ago about uh, constantly moving between different media and different interests and, and sort of your peripatetic nature. What What's next? What are some of the things you're looking at going forward? Um, well, <clears throat> I think right now what I'm dealing with is the, uh, the book that just came out called Empire. And um, the series of photographs that I made for that, the um, the exhibition is still up down in Southern California, at Cal State University, San Bernardino. Yeah, the book just came out from Heyday Books, which is a imprint in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I'm going to be talking about when we have our photo eye uh, meeting. Uh, I'm going to be. Uh, talking mostly about the, the evolution of the photographic work and the history of my work and then um, finish off with uh, a reading from, um, from Empire. Uh, I've discovered that um, I have some facility for writing, uh, probably because of um, uh, all the things that I've had to written, write about in the past. Um, you know, explain your work, uh, dialogue about it, uh, write grants, and so on. 
So when I began this uh, work on um, the Inland Empire area, I realized that I was taking photographs where I was seeing ghosts, uh, meaning that I was not only seeing what was there, but I was seeing what had disappeared, what was no longer there. And I needed to fill in the gaps that make the invisible visible by uh, adding text to that. So um, that's what I'm most involved in right now. I've um, got a project in Joshua Tree National Park that I'm working on, which is another writing project. And I'm doing some sound that will be accompanying that at the uh, National Park Visitor Center. Louis DeSoto, he's going to be speaking uh, a week from Thursday night as part of the Photo Eye series here at Napa Valley College. It'll be in the college boardroom on the 18th at 6 p.m. Louis, I thank you so much for spending some time with us. Oh, thank you very much. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you.